listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. Trinity Church Chester is a new church seeking to reach the city with the good news of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of our ministry is our Sunday worship service, in which we hear a sermon preached from a particular part of the Bible. We're glad you're listening. We'd love to see you in person at the Welsh Presbyterian Church Building on St. John Street in the city centre. We meet there every Sunday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you can find more details on our website trinitychester.church Come and join us as we seek to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 to 17. Let's hear God's word. God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbour's. Amen. This is God's word. Well, here at Trinity, uh, we're coming towards the end now of a sermon series on the Ten Commandments, on the law that God famously gave us to live by. Uh, And the question, one question that's crossed my mind at various points as we've been looking at each commandment is, if people in our communities today were asked, what ten laws do you think ought to govern how everybody in our society lives, what would they say? If you posted a survey on your social media, if you asked your fellow students on the university campus, uh, children, if you took a questionnaire around school asking other children in your class what the 10 most important rules are, what would people come up with? Uh, The first four commandments, which are primarily about how we are to know God and worship him, they almost certainly wouldn't feature in people's lists. Be surprised if the command to honour your father and mother made it onto many people's lists. Uh, The sixth commandment, you shall not murder, probably would be there. The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, probably wouldn't, I'm guessing. But the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. That would almost certainly be on people's 10 rules to live by list if they were given enough time to think about it. It's almost universally accepted that stealing is something that is wrong and so ought to be forbidden. 
Uh, We might even go so far as to say that there is not a single person on the face of the earth who does not in some way acknowledge that stealing is wrong. Because even the person who makes a living through stealing, without a doubt, feels violated when someone else takes from them. If you've ever had something taken from you, even if it was a long time ago now, you probably still clearly remember that feeling of violation. If you've been burgled, uh, if something of yours has been taken, if you've been cheated out of something, uh, you know what it is to experience that sense of a law being broken and it being personal. And so on one level, it's no surprise to us to find the command, you shall not steal, here in God's Ten Commandments. But even though we might instinctively recognise that this is a valid commandment, we still need to ask the question, what exactly does God consider to be stealing? It is his law, so what does he have in mind? And why is not stealing so significant to him? I want us to look at three things this afternoon. What stealing is, why God forbids it, And what it teaches us about the central message of the Christian faith. Firstly then, according to God, according to his word, the Bible, what exactly is classed as stealing? Well, as with all the commandments, there are blatant examples and there are perhaps less blatant examples. Uh, When it comes to what is blatantly forbidden by the command, you shall not steal, quite simply, we might say that what is ordinarily called theft and robbery and burglary are all envisaged by the command. Sometimes it's necessary just to hear these simple things stated clearly. That you shall not steal does mean you shall not shoplift. That you shall not take from others that which does not belong to you. Most people, I imagine, would have no problem agreeing with the commandment when it comes to those blatant acts of stealing. But as we've seen in the other commandments, there, are, there is more here to these words, you shall not steal. There's much more, in fact, much more than we're able to spend time thinking about in just one sermon. But to give you some examples of what the Bible classes as stealing, but what we might not immediately think of as stealing, stealing takes place in the realm of commerce, in the realm of the exchange of goods, buying and selling, when a person is deceived into thinking that a particular product is worth more than it actually is. During the time in which the Bible was written, products such as grain would have been bought and sold and they would have been weighed out and measured and the customer would pay according to the weight And God was concerned that his people would be righteous and just in that practice, that they would not seek to deceive one another. He says in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 35 and 36, you shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I remember as a child going with friends into a shop that sold some uh, pick and mix sweets. And uh, 
you calculated how much you owed for your sweets by putting your bag on a set of scales that would then print a label and you'd stick the label on your bag and it had a barcode on it and you'd take it to the till. And of course, uh, the temptation was always to uh, put your bag on the scales and print your barcode and then top up your bag with, with some more sweets. Uh, I heard one preacher speak of a cartoon illustration uh, in which a lady was purchasing a turkey at the counter of the butchers. And the butcher was on one side of the counter and uh, the lady was on the other side. And in between them was the turkey on the scales. Uh, and both of them were smiling somewhat suspiciously uh, because each of them had their hand on the scales without the other one noticing Uh, The butcher was pushing down on the scales to increase the weight and increase the value. And the lady was pulling up on the scales to try and decrease the weight and decrease the price. Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. We read in Proverbs 20 verse 10. These examples, these same kind of examples in various levels of seriousness and deceitfulness, are examples of stealing. Same could be said for false advertising. Even for trying to deceive somebody into thinking that the product they are selling is worth less than the true value. Those of of us who like to try and find second-hand bargains, we like to barter with people, We need to remember that. As well as stealing in the whole realm of commerce, there's also stealing that happens in the workplace, in the world of employment. As employees, when we idle away the time, when we fail to turn in a full day's work, we are in less obvious ways, but nonetheless still in very real ways, stealing from our employer. Employers when they fail to pay a fair wage to their employees, when they make cuts to the workforce in order to prioritise profit but expect those remaining employees to pick up all the extra work and not increasing their pay sufficiently, in those kind of scenarios, employers are stealing from their employees. And those of you who might find yourselves in positions of authority in which you're able to influence these kinds of decisions, need to keep that in mind. God declared in Jeremiah 22, 13, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbour serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. James in the New Testament writes in James 5, verse 4, Behold, the wages of the labourers who, who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. We could look at many more examples that are covered by this commandment. You shall not steal. Ways in which people take advantage of desperation to make money. Loan companies that charge extortionate interest rates, for example. Uh, Ways in which individuals and families are content to take things that belong to the government by failing to declare earnings so that they pay less tax, 
by dishonestly claiming certain benefits from the state, and so on. Uh, Martin Luther once wrote that we break this commandment whenever we take advantage of our neighbour in any sort of dealing that results in loss to him. Uh, Herman Baving, a Dutch writer, once wrote that the Eighth Commandment forbids theft in every shape and form. And he went on to outline that that which belongs to our neighbour is not only their possessions, money, land and so on, but also their time, their diligence and effort. The scope of the commandment is broad, just as we have seen with each commandment we've looked at. And it is, I think, worth pausing just for a moment to consider why it is that we don't tend to view God's commands as being so extensive. When it comes to how we should live, we often want to set the bar as low as possible. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. We take those commands to be only addressing the most blatant violations. We set the bar so low that we can give ourselves a sense of accomplishment in meeting it, in stepping over it. Uh, when I was a child, I remember one evening when my grandparents were over and uh, my sisters were showing them some of the new moves that they'd learned at gymnastics, uh, cartwheeling and handstanding <clears throat> around the living room. And my grandpa said, did you know that I can stand on my hands? And uh, we were all a bit suspicious. And um, my sisters obviously didn't believe him. But he kept insisting that he could stand on his hands. And so eventually the inevitable came. Prove it then, Grandpa. And so my grandpa stood up, placed his hands on the floor, and then stepped onto his hands with his feet. See, I'm standing on my hands. Well, in one sense, he had taken what it means to do a handstand, to stand on your hands, and he had lowered the bar. If my sisters would have tried to incorporate his version of a handstand into their next gymnastics routine, their coach uh, wouldn't have been too happy. Might have said something along the lines of, well, it is true that your feet aren't touching the floor and your hands are, but that is not all that is envisaged with a handstand. When we take God's commands and we want to reduce them to the bare minimum of their requirement, we're not living according to God's law, but to our own. Because what's envisaged in God's law, what's envisaged in the command, you shall not steal, is so much more than avoiding the most blatant ways that we can break it. Is it your aspiration merely to live according to your own law? Or is your aspiration to live a life that is pleasing to God? Because if it's the second option, then you need to allow God to set the bar. And that bar, the bar for truly living according to the Eighth Commandment, is not merely that we avoid being criminal thieves, but that we seek to exercise fairness, justice, honesty in relation to others. But we also have a second question to answer, and it's the question, why? Why does God forbid stealing? We've looked at what stealing is. Secondly, why does God forbid it? It's almost universally accepted that stealing is wrong. 
But if you were to ask people why they believe stealing is wrong, I doubt that you'd find as much agreement. Perhaps the most common answer in our particular context would be that each of us has a right to private property. That is to say, what is mine is mine and what is yours is yours. And so for me to take what is yours is a violation of your right to have it and to use it. And we do find that right affirmed in the Bible in all of the laws and penalties regarding ownership, property, cattle, belongings, so on. I do not have the right to take what belongs to you. The state does not have the right simply to take what belongs to you and vice versa. But there is a follow-up question to be asked, which is, why? Why do you have that right to your own property? I'm not sure how people would answer that question generally beyond saying something vague that it's just simply self-evident or whatever. But in the Bible, we find a very definitive answer. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, asks this question. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? What do you have that you did not receive? Just think about that for a moment. Think of everything that you own, everything that you would call yours. Of all those things, is there anything that you did not receive? It's a rhetorical question of Paul's. The answer is, of course, nothing. There is nothing that you have that you did not receive. And Paul is not making an observation here about the way of the world, but he's making a statement about God's ownership of all things. We sang from Psalm 24 at the beginning of our service. The earth, Psalm 24 begins, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Which is simply to say, God owns everything. Not only the the superstructure of this earth, but all of its contents too. Everything belongs to him. And what God does with this great wealth of his, is he distributes it as he sees fit among all of us, among his creatures. We said in our call to worship, Psalm 115, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. That is not to say that God has simply handed over the earth to us human beings, but he has apportioned and distributed his earth, all that he owns, to us. So the land that belongs to any one nation belongs to it because the Lord has distributed his earth in that way. The land that belongs to any one family in that nation belongs to it because the Lord has distributed it in that way. Your home is yours ultimately because you or your family received it from the Lord. The same goes for all your possessions that rightfully belong to you. They are yours because the Lord has given them to you. You have a right to your possessions because God has divided up all that he owns and what you have has been given to you by God. What do you have that you did not receive? 
Now, this has several implications for how we live our lives. But I want to draw our attention just to two in particular. First of all, because all things ultimately belong to God, the right that you have to your own private property, your stuff, they're not ultimately ownership rights, but they are stewardship rights. In one very real and very important sense, you are not the owner of your home, your money, your possessions, your time, because God is the owner of all these things. And yet in an equally real and important sense, God has appointed you as the steward of these things, your home, your money, your possessions, your time. Which means that you have been given responsibility by God to use the things that he has given you on his behalf. He is the owner of your home, your money, your possessions, your time. And you are the steward who is the on the ground responsible one for how these things are used. And so you can either use what God has given you in a way that dishonours him or in a way that honours him. You can either choose to use what God has given you in selfish ways for your own gain, for your own profit, or you can use it for the good of others and for their profit. And as the appointed steward of the particular resources that you have that belong to God, you have a responsibility to use those resources generously for the good of your family And for the good of your church family in particular, and for the good of others when opportunities and needs present themselves. So instead of viewing our private property and belongings as things we can utilise for ourselves, we need to begin to view them as things we can utilise for the good of others. Because all that we have belongs to God, and we steward these things on his behalf. It has been a a big encouragement to me uh, to have seen many of you using your homes, your things, your your money, your time to serve others in the church here. This is one way in which we carry out what is required of us in 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 a positive sense in the Eighth Commandment. That's been a huge encouragement to me. So let me encourage you to Keep going with that. Keep making decisions that enable you to do this more and more, to be generous stewards of all God has given you. And we read earlier from 1 Timothy 6, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous And ready to share. The second implication of the fact that God owns all that we have and all that everybody else has is that the reason you do not have the right to take something that belongs to someone else is not simply that it is not yours to take, but it is also God's. It belongs to Him. When you take something that belongs to someone else, you're not only stealing from that person or that organisation or that government, but you are stealing from God. What rightfully belongs to them, belongs to them because God has given it to them. 
And we can apply that to our hearts too. When you are envious of what someone else has. When you are frustrated that you don't have something that you wish you had. The bigger house and the better area, more money to spend on leisure things, the more up-to-date wardrobe, whatever it might be. When you grumble inside and get frustrated, then you are ultimately grumbling and becoming frustrated with God. He is the one who owns all things and who distributes what he owns as he sees fit. He has appointed lawful ways for you to earn more and gain more through honest hard work, through the provision of your family. But if you are not content with what you have, and if you think that you will only be content when you acquire whatever it is you've set your sights on, then you are discontent with God himself. How content are you when you reflect on all that you have? Even as you reflect on all you don't have, how content are you? Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Which leads us on to our final points as we close. Um, These twin concepts of stealing and generosity, they are at the heart of what the Christian faith is all about. Because they teach us something about what our biggest problem is and about what God's response to it is. Our biggest problem is not that we don't own enough things. Our biggest problem is that we have spent our lives stealing from God. In the Garden of Eden, right at the beginning, Adam and Eve would have had no trouble answering the Apostle Paul's question. What did you have that you did not receive, Adam, Eve? Nothing would have been the obvious reply. So obvious. God had created them. He'd given them life itself All that they were now tasked with stewarding in the garden had clearly been given to them by God. Yet they wanted something that didn't belong to them. They weren't content with being God's highly privileged creatures who were subordinate to him. They wanted to be on his level. They wanted to be God. They took the fruit from the tree that had not been given to them. They took something that did not belong to them in the hope that they would acquire something else that did not belong to them, the rights and status that belong to God himself. And ever since that moment, every human being who descended from them has been following their lead and seeking to steal from God. Whenever you and I are envious of something someone has, we're disregarding the fact that God, as the owner of all things, has the right to distribute to each person as he pleases. And in envying another person, desiring to have something that hasn't been given to us, we are in effect trying to grasp those rights, those distribution rights that belong to God alone. We're following in Adam's footsteps. 
Whenever we fail to use what God has given us for his honour, for his glory, for the good of others, and instead we tighten our grip on what is ours for our own sake, we're stealing from God. Again, Martin Luther, he said, if we look at mankind in all its conditions, it is nothing but a vast, wide stable full of great thieves. And it's the biggest problem we face because this kind of unjust, unfair, unrighteous use of what we have been given to steward is something that God hates. And yet, what was God's response to our thievery? He didn't do what we might expect. He didn't take back what he had given, but he gave even more. He gave himself. The Father sent the Son in the greatest act of generosity this world's ever known, and the Son gave his life. His life, which had fulfilled the full extent of the Eighth Commandment. Not once. Did he take something that did not belong to him? Not once did he desire something that had not been given to him. Not once was he discontent with his position in life. Not once did he withhold himself, his time, his energy, his efforts from those who could benefit from him. Not once did he have a look on his face that said, you better not be about to ask another favour from me. But his entire demeanour said, come. And this Lord Jesus, who perfectly fulfilled the words, you shall not steal, was crucified between two thieves. As though God wanted us to see even more clearly his beautiful generosity towards us in light of our ugly robbery in sinning against him. And when he had risen from the dead, the Lord Jesus generously poured out the Holy Spirit on his people. One of the effects of which is that all who trust in Christ receive the Spirit of Christ and so are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to go and live lives that resemble our extraordinarily generous God. Let's pray. Our generous Father in heaven, send us out today with a new vision for what we might achieve with our lives. Forgive us for the many ways we resemble the first Adam and so change our lives that we resemble the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, more and more for your glory and the good of others. Amen. listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to you. If you'd like to know more about the Christian faith and what it means to live as a Christian, please do get in touch. You can email hello at trinitychester.church or head to the connect page on our website trinitychester.church forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you soon.